Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guests bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guests are Kim Tucker Audley and Albert Bernie, the co-writers and co-directors of Strawberry Mansion, which just had its release on DVD and Blu-ray. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. We're excited to, 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 to chat. Scars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happy to to open these old wounds and you know get get all traumatized again. Yeah. And what a great inspired pick. And I for a lot of reasons, and I can't wait to get into that. But before we do, let's take it back to the beginning. How did you both get introduced to horror and like genre pictures? Yeah. For for me, it was um 
it was a couple things. The first one was a, a very formative memory, you know, probably one of my earliest memories that I can still like really feel the, the moment. It was, I was like four years old at my friend's house. I went upstairs to the bathroom and his older sister was watching a movie in the, the parents' bedroom with some friends. And I stood in the doorway and it was the iconic scene in Nightmare uh, on Elm Street when Johnny Depp gets uh, swallowed by the bed. bed and the blood comes out. Okay, so that moment, I, I was standing there and I couldn't look away, but I was also like terrified. I was like, this is something I should not be seeing. <laughs> and that kind of set me on my my journey. I, I I slowly started renting the movies myself, The Nightmare on Elm Street. I'd get them from my local video store. Uh, and, you know, Freddy Krueger... It's funny because he's like a horror icon, but he was huge, like with kids. He, I think maybe because he had a little bit, especially in the later films, he was a little bit funnier, you know, funny. Mm -hmm. He had some some humor to him. So as a kid, I, I dressed as him for Halloween when I was, you know, like nine years old. I had the, the fake plastic glove and the fake head. Me too. Uh, yeah. I wish I still had it. it. You know, it's probably in my mom's basement somewhere. But um, yeah, I would say that that Freddy Krueger and Iron Man Street kind of started me down the path. And, you know. You go to the video store and you see, the, you know, all the, the amazing Nightmare on Elm Street painted covers. And then mm -hmm. those are next to other movies that you kind of pick up and start to explore. And you, I had a couple friends that we would, you know, we just loved watching, you know, any any horror movie, good or bad. If it was bad, it was almost better, you know, like yep. you, you'd have more fun with it. And it wasn't quite as scary. So you could kind of like laugh along with it. And then every once in a while, you'd see like a really hard, scary one like Exorcist. And I'd be like, you know what? I, I'm going to not watch any horror movies for like a month or two. I'm, that one burned me a little bit too much, but uh, yeah. So that, that was my, uh, that was my path. I'll, I'll let Kentucker go into his. Well, yeah, he, Albert has a more conventional horror f freak kind of backstory. <laughs> I, 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 was, I, I was on the other end of the spectrum, which was desperately trying to avoid horror movies at all costs for very many years <laughs> because I was too scared. I mean, I feel like my introduction to horror was just like resisting movies that I thought would be too scary. Oh. Um, like, uh, I mean, one of the early ones that I, so I didn't get into the, like the eighties, and I mean, I was a little later to the game, even though even though I'm the same age as Al. I I, I feel like movies like Arachnophobia, mm. which is a which I think is a really corny bad movie, but like just the idea of spiders. Oh, in, in Terry, it's Terry's Scarred for Life pick. When we started this, yep. this podcast, really? that was wow. his movie that scarred him for life. Like, <laughs> Terry is deathly afraid of spiders, which will probably oh, come definitely. up when we talk about your movie, Texas I mean, Reloads tonight. I have not seen the film. It's terrified by it. Um, I, I can't <laughs> oh, get it. Oh, you haven't seen it? No, so this one, I'm saying like, I can't watch these movies. <laughs> my, my terror revolves entirely around the prospect of what happens when I watch this movie and like how to avoid seeing it. Another another weird one what I just thought of, it's a little bit later, but like, and it's not even a horror movie in traditional circles, I don't think, but this movie called The Good Son with Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> We just talked about that on the podcast with yeah. uh with with Devin Das, uh, the writer, the co-writer of uh Keeping Keeping Company. That was yeah. his moment. That was his movie. That movie ruined my life. <laughs> Did it really? Okay. All right. So it's in it's it's in the canon of of, of, of this podcast. Okay. Um yeah, I was like, I, I I did actually end up seeing that one, and, and it, I would say I was was quite quite scarred. Did you ever see that, Al? Oh yeah, I saw it. And when they throw like the fake dummy off of the overpass, <laughs> never forget that. That's that. Yeah. That's, that's I burned. still, I will. I think about that every time I'm driving. Like 
yeah. an overpass, I'm like, oh, it's going to a fucking dummy off of it. It's still in my brain. Like yeah. so many years later, it's still ingrained in my brain as a possibility. And I, I also remember the, I, I don't remember much. I remember three scenes, the overpass, there's a scene on the ice when someone goes under the ice and then the end when she's got both of them, one in each hand <laughs> on the cliff and she's got to choose which one she's going to like rescue. Damn. Uh, that's a that's a scary one, but I think Kentucky. I think what's missing in our in your story is you didn't have that formative moment as a four year old, you know, walking by a doorway. If someone had been watching like Arachnophobia, you might have you might have seen it, and it might have you know kind of broken you in, and then you'd been like ready to see more. Maybe or maybe maybe I did that did happen, and I and I blocked it out, and I just <laughs> that I, I sort of try to get, keep get away from that feeling for the rest of my life. But yeah. I, I would say like movies like uh, there's certain movies that we've talked a lot about that were influential to start start mention that I have that aren't horror films. They're more fantasy, but they're they're moments that I actually am scarred by, like the never ending story mm. and the movie that we're here to talk about. Were there some moments that were were very horrific to me Definitely. that that like I, I saw when I was when I was really young and those those sort of like, OK, I've had enough. But I guess when, as I got a little bit older. And I started make watch like more mature movies. I think I wasn't I wasn't I, I wanted to avoid like like gory slasher movies and things like that. But I really loved tense atmospheres and feelings of dread and psychedelics okay. kind of stuff. And when I started to get into a little bit more like of, of the art house feelings, I, I I was really scared and scarred by Clockwork Orange and mm. um and, and and David Lynch films Eraserhead and. And uh, like Rosemary's Baby was one that also comes to mind of like something that as I got a little older, I started to dip my toe into to this to the scare to the world of scare. And then, you know, there was simultaneously there was like the pop culture, scary films that we were being exposed to, like Scream and a little bit later, like the Blair Witch Project, which was like those were scream kind of in a in a fun fun scary way and then Blair Witch in sort of like a hauntings way uh but I, I think I was a little bit too old to like really I know my wife talks about Blair Witch as if like that fucking just you know she thought it was real she watched the whole movie she thought she thought the like little complimentary piece they put on tv of like the backstory behind Scar- that was me oh, yes. that yeah. was me we yeah. talked about Blair Witch on the podcast like uh two years ago I think and that was my thing is that uh that sci-fi docu-series <laughs> that they aired that I thought was so real I was like oh my god this really happened we're gonna be watching a snuff film this is horrible like I really got caught but, up into uh, it so I I get that completely I, I yeah I remember like growing up a horror like buff and then seeing Blair Witch and like it was like the cover of Time magazine and people were like this mm-hmm. is the scariest movie of all time I went and I was there with my like horror buddies and we were just like that's that wasn't it you know like I think it had been hyped up too much and I I it wasn't scary to me I you know yeah. I, I think I think I knew that it was just like some people with a camera in the woods of Maryland and uh I don't know. I, I still to this day, I, I wish I had gotten fallen under its spell, but I think I just like, I had too high expectations of like, what's this scariest movie of all time? You know, like mm-hmm. this is too many of these things. And I think you were a hair too old. Like yeah. we were, I think if you were like a couple of years younger, maybe you would have yeah. got your scared, scared the wits out of you. Yeah. So Kentucky, you said you weren't like a big horror person, but do you remember the first horror movie you ever saw? Or like the first movie that scared you? It doesn't even have to be a horror movie. I think the first movie that scared me was Never Ending Story. Okay. And, I, and I think it scared me the moment that I, that I remember the most, I think it's just, it's not a, it's not a horror moment. It's just, it's just sort of a desperation moment. And it's the call me, call, say my name 
moment, um, which just felt mm-hmm. so like there's so much gravity to this to this question of whether this kid is going to say this one this, this girl's name, and I just remember feeling so scared and and intense about this possibility of of like losing everything. And I, I, I would, I would say that would probably be the, the first one that comes to mind. What about you, Al? Do you, what do you remember your first, like a full scare, not just the clip, not just like the clip, but the full right. scare movie. I mean, you know, so I rented all the nightmare on Elm streets and I, I remember watching them in my mom's old bedroom and I would be like, I would just be standing watching the movie and I would, it would become like, a full, <laughs> like I would be like walking with the characters. And um, my favorite was, was number four. <laughs> where um, as her friends die, she gets their powers. And I, I like, I started studying like Kung Fu. Cause I was like, I'm going to also like, I'm going to learn. And I started lifting weights. I remember being like, you know, an eight year old, like lifting these little, like three pound weights being like, I've got to get strong now too. Cause she's getting strong. You know, Albert, I love hearing that. Cause like, Nightmare on Elm Street is my is my favorite of the horror franchises, and number four is actually besides the first one, actually yeah. my favorite. Like yeah, number four, four is just like there's so much to it, and it's so yeah. uh, I don't know the effects that are so great and goopy. It's my four, favorite. Four is the one that I remember just like when I thought of because because one is like legitimately scary, and mm-hmm. like one is obviously like the best, and you can rewatch it every October and it holds up. Um, and three is great with Patricia Arquette and Lawrence Fishburne. Two is, you know, fun for its own other mm-hmm. reason. But four, yeah, four is the one that, like, I it really hit me at the right age and the right idea. And actually, if you've been to the Museum of Moving Image, they have, like, the giant sweater where, like, the heads are coming out of it. <gasps> um, which, they do? Yeah, they did as, as a couple years ago. Last time I was there, they had it. And just standing there in front of it was like, whoa, this is this is cool. But... Uh, you know, so I've got to say the nightmare movies, but I'm also, I'm also a never ending story kid, big time. Uh, and the, the feelings, the emotions that that movie brought out of me as a kid were like life and death. You know, this is such an important battle and like Mm -hmm. for the, for the bad guy to be this thing, like the nothing that just like is nothing. And it just eats Mm -hmm. away the land was such like kind of an interesting concept as a kid to be just like, Oh my God, they're like battling like the opposite of every, like something. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's just a very, it's a kind of like an abstract idea. Uh, and the fact that it's like a kid, you know, it was our, who was our age, who was reading the book. And then, you know, he's living in the story. And yeah. So yeah, that that's another one that, uh, I mean, just revisiting every single weekend w- would watch that. I, I, th- I don't think Albert and I would be making movies together if we hadn't seen Never Ending Story probably in the same month of our lives. Yeah. When we were like six years old or something. Yeah. yeah, so I was I was curious because um we're going to talk about Strawberry Mansion, but it pulls from a lot of fantasy and some sci-fi and that kind of um, genre type stuff. Were you both into fantasy growing up? I mean, I, you've talked about never uh, the never ending story and, and the like. And I mean, the movie we're going to talk about is also fantasy. So was fantasy a big thing in, in your young childhood? Yeah, for me, definitely. Um, you know, not only never ending story, but just like Jim Henson and, and the Muppets and all of these, you know, Labyrinth was a huge one, you know, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for, for people our age, I think. So, you know, I, and I don't even know if I was like aware that I was into fantasy other than that, just like, those are the movies that I think I would kind of revisit or watch the most, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, mm-hmm. and then, and then as you get a little older, it starts to like, that bleeds into like, you know, Terry Gilliam. And, you know, I watched Baron Munchausen and that was kind of like a gateway of like, oh, wow, this is a kid's movie, but then this person directed these other movies, and then that leads to, like, Monty Python, you know, and yeah, 
it kind of like keeps building and spiraling from there. Uh, and then you like get older and you realize like, oh my gosh, like Terry Jones, one of the Python members wrote Labyrinth and, you know, it's all kind of connected in this, you know, big mixing pot. But um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say I was a fantasy head. Yeah, I would, I would say not so. I mean, yeah, I, I think I was just kind of exposed to the movies of the day more than anything, mm. sort of like okay. what they what was out in theaters what they told us to watch in the pop cultures i mean i I feel like i saw you know a lot of like arnold schwarzenegger jim carrey like just the i I didn't really know what movies were and i didn't really have a sense of like my taste at that age i was just sort of like the one movie it's not a fantasy movie at all but the one movie i think i really resonated with like before i was 10 years old was this bmx racing movie called rad that i i think i've watched about a thousand times um, that was probably my favorite movie until I was like 10 years old. But That's yeah, so cool. I don't know. It's kind of a hodgepodge of some, you know, yeah, some fantasy movies just, you know, accidentally some, some like just a lot, a lot of comedies. I, I really love funny stuff um, and like just teen boy action movies. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so Kentucker, you said you were scared of mov- of movies as a kid. Yeah. Were Albert, were you a scaredy cat too? Um. Like you mean scaredy cat with movies or just like in life? Because uh, Kentucky was a scaredy cat in life. Um, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm not. First of all, I'm not, no, I. You know, I mean, I, I. I don't know. I think. I think it was kind of like going back to being that like four year old kid standing in the doorway. It's like this thing was scaring me, but I didn't want to turn away. Like maybe. Okay. I, I was just. I was more like drawn to it in a way where I was like, if I can watch this, if I can like see it then I can have some kind of control over it. And if mm-hmm. I'm not watching it, then it'll be scarier to me or something. Or like, okay, if I watch it, it's just like, you know, a movie and then it's over and I, and I did it. Um, but I, I did not like, you know, like I loved the same, you know, I, I love bloody horror movies. I loved the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Like Predator was my oh, yeah. favorite film. You know, it, some days if I'm in the right mood, I'll still say that's my favorite movie just because I, I think I can watch it over and over again. Uh, it just had its 35th anniversary a couple days ago too. Um, oh yeah, it did. But but I did not like blood in real life. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I, my sister got a bloody nose and I was like, I almost fainted, you know, when I was a kid. So it's like, I don't know, something about the screen, it, it wasn't real or it was like removed enough that I could, I could like get close to it and then still be okay and not, not afraid or something. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So now as, as adults, do you do mo- uh, horror movies still scare you at all? Or are you desensitized by them now seeing so many or how, how do you handle horror movies as an adult? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm kind of the same. I don't, I only seek them out because, yeah. And, but I, I, I think there's certain types of horror movies or that, that I think that I really, that I gravitate towards. Um, and then I think they're more psychological and more um, atmosphere based. Mm. And also movies like that are more, that are like have incredible performances or incredible visuals, things that are like a little bit disconnected from horror tropes, you know, like a movie called uh, a movie like possession or something. That's just like, Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if people call that a horror movie, but it's very, it's horrific. It's bloody. It's it's really it's full of terror in in, in a way, but it's also a, built around a relationship and, and real human d- dynamics. It's a really good example of divorce horror, which is a, mm-hmm. something someone did online. They called it divorce horror. I'm like, what an incredible way to describe possession <laughs> as a divorce a, horror a movie. movie. Divorce, yeah, yeah, it's um, exactly what it is. Yeah, and but it, it's in, in this like within these all, all these filters of um that that are really t- terrorizing um but yeah then a movie called like uh 
like the Japanese house movie that I re- recently yeah. saw. It's like, you know, I hadn't seen that. I had never seen it. And it's like, it's like this, this classic gonzo, everything against the kitchen, you know, everything in the kitchen sink, whatever the phrase is. Uh, mm-hmm. And, but it's very like lighthearted and fun and funny. Yeah. So, I mean, those kind of movies are like that are, that are like, that are based in visuals or, or, or tone or like some sort of different thing that they're bringing to the table. I, I, I love that kind of stuff. And I also love stuff that feels like just slightly off somehow. Like I, I was really, I, I was really loved. I loved Twilight Zone. And, mm. um, I, that's one that's kind of stuck with me throughout the years that, that I yeah. kind of early in my twenties, I started to understand this feeling of, of uh, like something slightly off, but, but you, you can't really put your, put your finger on it. So yeah. that, that kind of stuff I feel like is in the horror, is in the horror world in some ways, but I, I, that I still really gravitate towards. Yeah. Yeah, for like where where I'm at with like horror. Well, first off, I can't. I don't like watching it alone. You know, like I'm. It's not like if I'm by myself, I'm not thrown on. Like I don't want to get scared. You know, but Mm -hmm. uh, with with a friend or a couple, it's just like the best. You know, Uh, especially like October first rolls around, and it's just like it's so deep in my DNA of like I got to start watching some horror movies this month. You know, like this is new ones, old ones, whatever. try to watch a bunch in October. But yeah, usually it's just like if someone, if you start like hearing the reviews or the hype around a new one, then that, that gets me interested and excited to go check it out in the theater or, you know, watch it at home with some friends. Albert and I are different in that. If he hears hype, he wants to be a part of that hype. I, if I, if I hear somebody <laughs> hyping up a movie, I, I have to wait at least five years to watch it. Cause I know. I'll hate it. <laughs> if I, yeah. If it's just all about the hype. That, that's why we're a good team we have you know like i, I like horror he doesn't i like hype he doesn't uh it, it, he likes to be a part of things i like to be an outsider mm-hmm. that's i mean that if you want to get to the root of why yeah but yeah here you have it <laughs> okay so talking about strawberry mansion which i will say has some elements of horror in it uh there's in fact there's one sequence in it uh where, where the character's looking in the mirror and his face like it reminded me a bit of of Poltergeist, to be honest, of the 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 face sort of like melting in the in the mirror. So there are elements of horror in this, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about what Strawberry Mansion is? Yeah, um, it's about ninety minutes. Um, <laughs> PG thirteen. Yeah, PG thirteen. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I, it's funny because there there before we tell about what it is, I'm just going into the horror aspect of it. There's like versions, early versions of it in in our. In, in script and in our heads where it was like way more like a horror movie. And then, mm. you know, as, as you like do rewrites and you, you kind of change things here and there and like the years keep start adding up, it starts to turn into something else. Um, but I mean, I, there's still, I, I still would love to make like a hundred percent horror film someday. I think that'd be a fun challenge, but yeah, it's a movie about dreams and, and romance and kind of like finding your your true self uh, takes place in a future world where dreams are recorded and taxed by the government. Yeah, it's uh, it kind of inspired by all these movies we've been talking about. All these ideas when you're a kid and you you kind of go into a video store on a Friday night and you have like thousands of options ahead of you and and the feeling of like just escape that you can that that movies mm-hmm. can can give you as a kid. It was a kind of movie uh, 
really inspired by that feeling. You both have collaborated together in the past. And so how did this come, this movie come to be? Like, did one of you have the idea and kind of bring it to the other? Or is it kind of like a joint kind of experience? What was that like? Yeah, this was a, this was a story that Albert had cooked up many years ago before he knew me. And uh, he had written a script. I guess that that is actually how we met is him reaching out to me with his script and wanting me to act in it. And uh, I didn't really, I, I thought it was cool somehow, but I didn't really understand it. And I wasn't really acting at the time. So I said like, yeah, maybe, but then, um, <laughs> then we kind of fell out of touch. And, and then a couple of years later, we, we were on the same set of, a, of an indie film called Funny Bunny. I was acting in, he was on crew and then we kind of hit it off from there. And then I, he's like, you remember that script I sent you? I was like, yeah, that, Oh yeah, and I had I remember remembrance that there's a really cool central idea in the film, and and we really got along, and then we made another movie called Silvio, and and then once we had a good experience with that, I was like, well, you know, there's this really big idea in this old script that I wrote. Let's see if we can if we can refine this and put some new life into this one. So then at that point, we started working together and re- reworking the script and and. and and uh, building out the world and the characters and 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 coming to a, a a collaboration aspect of it at that point. Yeah, at the time, I remember like the script made sense to me up to a point, but I think it didn't really read that well. It didn't make sense to a lot of people, and it was like uh, I think Tucker was like, "Yeah, yo, yeah, I'll work on it," but I think we should uh, kind of chop up the script a bit and try to find our way through it, and you know. Uh, thankful we did that because a lot of a lot of new uh elements came came out of that but uh yeah it was a weird like 14 year period from like moment of conception wow. to oh wow like being finished it yeah so i think you know we're we're we're, we're making another one here we're, we're starting to we're almost finished writing it and uh hoping it, it gets that a little bit sooner than 14 years i think we, we we're about a year into it so far the low bar just like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. How does it feel to have it finally coming out after 14 years? I mean, you know, it's it's surreal because uh, that's that's a big chunk of your life, and um, it changed so many times through the years. I at, at one point, maybe like in year seven, I was like, kind of, I made peace with the fact that it was never going to happen. You know, you kind of mm, you're okay. like, well, that was just the one that got away, and I got other things I'm working on. I got this project Silvio I'm working on, and this and that, and so you kind of, and then it, you know, something kind of is still poking you in the back of your head about it so you you bring it back out and yeah at this point you know it's it's definitely a relief but it's it's almost like surreal in that it feels like uh it was many different projects over the years and and you're kind of like sometimes you still mourn you know the horror movie that would have happened if you had made it like 10 years ago or maybe like the the science fiction one that would have been like six years ago you know it's like all these different movies that it could have been so but you just put that into those ideas or those like kind of forgotten elements into new things. And, you know, you change too. So yeah. just the morning of what it could have been if I was not involved, <laughs> you know? Yeah. If I, instead of Kentucky, I, there was two emails I sent that day and the other person said, no, you know, like if they had said, <laughs> yeah, but I won't, I won't name names, but uh, <laughs> does it have to be such a horror movie? Or, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. We could have had like a whole new horror franchise, Strawberry Mansion <laughs> 2, 3. Oh, <laughs> my God. The new Nightmare Albert's, on Albert's going straight to the top if he ever ditches me. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the Blue Demon could be like the new Freddy. Hey, so, now we're talking. I'm telling you. It's, uh, 
you know, there, there's another cut of the movie where there's a blue demon scene goes on for twice as long. And uh, some say it's a, you know, more interesting cut, but well, <laughs> I'm just teasing. I mean, look. Release the blue demon cut. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we have some of that extended footage in the DVD? We do. We do have some of I was going to ask if it was in the Blu-ray. Yeah. There, there are, there is an extended moment with the blue demon on the Blu-ray. Um, and I just say this on the record here on the podcast that uh, I love working with Kentucker and if I if I was making a movie without him, it would be a it would be bloated and boring and not as Parker's uh, really good about keeping keeping things moving and uh, cooking and. Uh, and if I made a movie without you, it would have no 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 mask, no imagination, no excitement, and uh, nothing anybody would want to watch. So it, it, it's a it's a great partnership. Yeah, you there's balance reason, each other out. There's a reason we work together, and uh, you should see my movies before Albert was in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> entirely in apartments, entirely shot, people talking on couches, very unimaginative. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we need each other. Yeah, well, there's one thing that this movie does have, and it's a lot of imagination. I I, I rewatched it last night uh, in prep, and I was just like taken away by uh, how I don't know how inventive and colorful it is. I I really, although I will say you have a moment in there that I was like, fuck this movie. And it's because of the spiders. No mm-hmm. offense, but I just, I can't do it. I was like, of course there is a fucking spider in this movie. Yeah. Arachnophobia. I mean, but we give you the, the tools to kill a spider. The you spider do. Death. I <laughs> want that spider death can. I need that. I need it. Yeah. I, I literally last night went around my house and was spraying more, more, more poison because I saw a little spider after I saw that movie. And he's like, Nope, I'm not having you in the house. And I literally, I literally ran around my entire house with like a, can, oh, like a kill, thing kill. of like poison. Cause I was like, no, I can't, I can't. Yeah. That's uh, I, if I, we have, I have a few extra cans laying around. I'll see if I can get one. <laughs> it's uh, you'll be a little bit, you'll be disappointed though. Cause I think it's just like um some kind of like smoke in there or something. It, it probably, makes a spider stronger. I will just, I will just show it to them and they'll be terrified and run away. And that will be all I need. That's what we are. It's got a picture of us on the box. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yes. Sorry to to traumatize you. Um, In our new script, I I think as of right now, as of this taping, it's spider uh, free. Thank God. Well, now it's going to have to have spiders in it. Now that we've talked about it. No. Terry, maybe we'll, we'll, We'll put one real small in there somewhere, and uh, <laughs> be one name it, name it, oh it'll be named Terry. But like no right. one knows his name is Terry. We just know that it's little little, right. little spiders. Little, Terry, little Easter egg. Yeah. While you're at it, just give us a list of what what you can't handle for the next movie. We'll just you know put it through the. the... Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's it. And blood in real life. Like 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 you, Albert. That's I can't. Good. I don't like blood in real life. I can watch the gnarliest movies, but yeah. moment someone has blood, I'm like, nope can't can't watch myself get given blood or any of that kind of shit no so i'm with you there definitely but so do we want to start chatting about the movie that you guys have brought with you yes so kentucker and albert what movie are we talking about well you know we we're bringing the iconic classic horror movie the wizard of oz hell yeah so let me read a quick synopsis of the iconic classic horror movie, The Wizard of Oz. Uh, young Dorothy Gale and her dog Toto are swept away by a tornado from their Kansas farm to the magical land of Oz. And they embark on a quest with three new friends to see the wizard who can return her home and fulfill the other's wishes. Yeah. I mean, that's Yay. scary. Getting taken away in a tornado from your home. That's a horror movie right there. It I is. Mean, it is a horror movie. Yeah. 
All right. So take us back to the very beginning. How old were both of you when you saw this movie? What about it scared you? Give us your horror story. We want to hear it all. Yeah. And this is one of those ones where it's like, you know, the movies you talked about, the other ones, there's very like concrete memories. But this is one of those ones that just feels like you you always have seen it. Like, I don't remember the first time, really. It's just like it was on TV or it was, mm-hmm. you know, a VHS somewhere. It just feels like it was always there. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, can you remember Kentucky? No, I, it's the same thing with me. I, I don't remember when I when I saw it. I I I, I just remember being. I mean, the I think the first moment of being scarred and and, and terrorized by the film was the flying monkeys, um, mm-hmm. and I think like that was probably one of the first moments in my life where I was just. I, I love this image of of Albert standing up watching movies. And it's, it's like that feeling. Like, I cannot, like, this is not something I can watch sitting down. Like, I have, this is, this is too, too much for me. Uh, I have to sort of, like, work this out um, with my body. And um, it's sort of, that gives you better flexibility to turn away. Um, but, yeah, the Flying Monkeys were really, uh, I, I don't know what it about them. I mean, I think the, the witch, obviously, was also very scary. But when when you hit the Flying Monkeys, and the shrieking witch together, like it was just, it was, it was game over for me. Yeah. Well, the flying monkeys are just like uncanny valley too, because of the costumes. Like it's not, yeah. it's like a monkey, but you obviously know it's a dude in a costume. And it's just like yeah. that weird kind of divide. Yeah. In yeah. Brain. Well, like the, the whole movie at to that point has created such like this feeling of um, like the, the magical sets, you know, like the, the colors of the, the, it's like painted backdrops, you know, mm-hmm. and then there's like, yeah. it's just the whole movie. Like you, it, you're under a spell. So yeah, mm-hmm. you know that this is like a character in a Tin Man outfit, or this is a, you know, a, a, an actor in a lion's costume and you get all these, like, you, you're just kind of along with this, these songs and this fun, these visuals. And then all of a sudden with like the witch who starts showing up, she is kind of like, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's no, uh, the fact that we have a witch in Star Mansion, it's like 100%, you know, probably inspired by the witch in that. It's like when you're a kid, what's scary, you know, the things that scare you are these like archetypes of like the big bad wolf or the the wicked witch. And so you've got this this witch, this iconic, you know, kind of like, you know, like cackling voice and I'll get you my pretty. Uh, and then her little henchmen show up. And yeah, they are up to that point. You're like, you haven't seen anything like them in the movie. And they just have that, those kind of like blank faces where they're kind of like just staring and the, the idea that they're just going to like fly out the window and they're, they're, you know, even the whole sequence where they lead up to her place through the woods, you know, dark woods. And it's like really kind of like the deep dark woods. Uh, and it's a little yeah. uncanny. Like the, they yeah. see the, the owls in the tree and they almost look a little robotic with the the red eyes and, and everything. And then there's like, I think there's vultures in another tree. Yeah. It kind of gives mm-hmm. it, it builds up on this moment. And then like you, when I was rewatching this now, I was like, wow, it, you see a couple monkeys jump out the window, but then the sky is full of, you know, right. the, the, the screen is just full of these monkeys and they just sort of like descend upon them, like a, yeah. a, a flock and just take her fly away. It's like, it's, it's horrifying. They rip uh scarecrow apart, like through yeah. his legs, through his stomach everywhere. It's like, it's, it's horrifying when you really think about it. Totally. That that's like some early body horror right there, mm-hmm. you know, like just disemboweling this character. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I think, um... and, then, and then, yeah, and then the guards and the, and the, and the castle, it just sort of feels like this life and death thing of like, 
if you get caught here, like this is like, there's no recovering from this. Like, it just feels like, it, it feels like this is the, the, the there's the mo- there's so much tension. There's so much mm-hmm. um, excitement around this, this idea of, of, of um, finding your way past these guards and, and past these monkeys. And, and it's just like, man, it's so scary to a kid. And the, uh, I love that both David Lynch and John Waters both cite this as their favorite movie of all time. And those are both, you know, kind of like the, I don't know, forefathers of midnight movies who have both mm-hmm. like dabbled in the horror genre in their own ways, you know. Um, but both of them who make very different films, both citing this as their favorite film, I think says so much about the power of the movie and and just how it like, you know, what is it, made 1940? 39. 39, 1939. 39. And it's, it still feels like it's from the future. You know, it, it's like so, yes. it's, yes. it's so timeless. The, the way that they, they filmed it, the costumes, the sets, the music, everything about it, you know, most movies like from four years ago feel dated, but this movie from 1939 still feels like some weird, like it piped in from an alien civilization from the future or something, you know? Uh, I, I'll say that rewatching this um, as an adult, I, the, the opening scene with the tornado effects though, that's actually really effective. And it, yeah. it holds up to today. Like I was like staring at this going, how is this movie from 1939? Yeah, looking better with tornado effects than movies that have come out since. Like it just it surprised me of how effective just the set. And then I, I'm I'm guessing it's like a screen in the back that is you know projecting the the yeah. image. But like how effective the whole thing just sort of comes together to be a really kind of intense tornado scene from 1939. Yeah. So it's, it's incredible. Uh, yeah. I, I hadn't watched it in years, you know, and then I watched it for at Christmas with my whole family, maybe two or three years ago, kind of like, is this still going to get me like it used to? And mm-hmm. I was right there. And after that, I was like, this is, this is an all timer, you know, like this isn't just a movie that you watch as a kid and kind of like, forget about this is, this holds up. This is, you know, as a, as a middle-aged human being, I'm, I'm right there feeling it, loving it. And to see my niece and nephew, you know, like four or five years old, kind of, seeing it for the first time it's like just oh, a small wow. timer did they like it too oh yeah they they the older one definitely i think he was like just the perfect age to kind of like uh yeah. get lost in it and uh you know maybe things maybe it's not as scary as it used to be he wasn't as freaked out by the uh the witch or the monkeys as i thought maybe he was <laughs> you know it's like oh. nowadays I've seen, lot, I've seen a lot of these days these kids yeah <laughs> I remember yeah. there's a really weird spot that terrified me as a kid. And it was at the beginning before the tornado with the pigs, when she falls into the pig pen mm-hmm. and that freaked me out immediately. I think it was just, and I think when I first saw this, I don't, like you said, I don't remember the first time I saw it. It was just on all the time. And like, I just knew yeah. about it, but I have, a, I remember thinking and not knowing that it was going to be color. I didn't really know what it was about. So I was like, oh my God, it's just going to be these horrible, like far, like horrible things on the farm. Like it's going to be <laughs> black and white. And like, I don't know how old I was. I just remember that feeling of being like, what is this? Like, this is horrifying. And then it becoming obviously like the beautiful world of, but it, it still kind of freaked me out a little bit. Um, because well, the whole concept freaked me out of like leaving, like being taken from your home and put into this place and you can't find your way home. And there's witches all of a sudden and like little people in these beautiful costumes and a talking like tin man and a scarecrow and a lion. And it's like, it was overwhelming to me as a child. I loved it, but it was overwhelming. But Toto was always my favorite character. 
um, to the point of that I play Toto in the school play in kindergarten <laughs> when oh, I was a yeah. child and had a tail and everything and was so excited to play Toto because I didn't want speaking part, but I wanted to play the dog. So I play Toto. In this You're game. like in every scene, but you don't have to memorize any lines. Exactly. All I had to do was walk on the yellow brick road that they put in the middle of the classroom. <laughs> and bark. Yeah, in the middle of all the action. No responsibility. It was. No, it like was a, great. It was perfect acting role for me. I can hear it. Yeah, I hear you. On <laughs> that. Yeah, Tucker, that's like you say you always like the days where you just have to like sleep on set. Like your, <laughs> your character is asleep in a bed. Yeah, I don't have to. I don't like having to talk. Yeah, it's fun to just like <laughs> walk in a room or lay in a bed. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think, uh, uh, yeah, go, like revisiting the movie as an adult, it really is. It hits different. It, it It's... Um, like pretty much the only things I remember as a kid were the scary moments mm-hmm. were the the moments of, of, of like, you know, abject horror of like feeling these things for the first time. And then go, going back and watching it a couple of years ago, I feel like you see the film for, for kind of what, the other part of it, which is just like a, a, a colorful musical. And it's, it's really funny. And of course the production design and the colors and the, the effects with the tornado and very convincing and really, just so thoughtful and, and beautifully presented. And, um, and also just like, you know, like the existential quest really resonates as an older person. And like these, these, these desires that you're, that these, that these uh, characters are, are, are seeking heart and brain and courage mm-hmm. and thinking like, these are real things, you know, as a kid, you don't even put that together. Like that that's, those are things that people strive for in their life. And, those things really that I mean I think that's why it, why it's a it's a classic that will always be one of the greatest films is because it really it, it's so simple but it really taps into so many different things and so many different layers and yeah it's just it's it's a, I think it's a beautiful film I mean just there's no place like home it's like how can yeah. you ever get a better thought than that you know it's like that's the big that's the biggest best idea of all time just there's no place like home like yep there is no place like home. That's it. Well, and you can see no place like home, which is obviously an incredible concept. Then we have somewhere over the rainbow, which is a song, oh obviously, but like that song, I mean, we all like basically know the words to most of it. I feel like it's just kind of again ingrained in our brains, but Judy Garland is incredible. And like her voice is so beautiful. And that's something I totally like when in rewatching it, just like the power of her voice singing somewhere over the rainbow at the beginning of the movie. I was like, holy shit wow this is really much more impactful when you're an adult and you have like context yeah. and then i'm like wait i want to go somewhere over the rainbow. yeah take me i'll, I'll sign up i, I want to go, go down you know and she just uh i believe her 100th birthday was just a couple days ago so uh happy birthday judy yeah and uh, here's another weird coincidence that uh i mean i think first of all i think that it's perfect that you pick this movie over pride like this mm-hmm. This movie is very gay. Yeah. Um, and oh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow is is a song that is like, before I even had words to talk about my sexuality was like, there was something about it that just spoke to me without even knowing or having the vocabulary for it. And, yeah. you know, as an adult rewatching, it's like, oh, the, I see why this, you know, resonates because it's about like a place where you won't get into trouble. And for, yeah. for you know, gay men and, and queer people living in that time, that was like a, a, a struggle. I mean, it's still a struggle today in a lot of places, but like, it was such a, it was a song that I think speaks to outsiders in, in general, but um, I think for the queer community in particular, it speaks a lot to it. And honestly, Judy Garland, this episode is going to drop on the anniversary of her funeral. Wow. 
Oh How weird God. is that? That gave me goosebumps. Isn't that weird? Terry texted that to me, and I was like, "What a That's weird like synchronicity coincidence." So everyone, right? Uh, I mean, I, I believe that kind of stuff, you know, it's like, that's, that's special. Cause yeah, I mean, just being a kid and, and not even, you know, feeling kind of like different or an outsider, but watching that movie and feeling, yeah, just like a feeling of, of home and like, you can find people along the way that'll be your companions and your friends that can travel with you on this road. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's a universal uh, thing that we can all relate to when we're you know all growing up in different places and different times and it's uh yeah i love that it's still speaking to to people today and that it's gonna drop on her uh the anniversary of her funeral that's incredible which there so when i was looking up um judy garland because julie garland she's a, she's a gay icon yeah and when i was when i was looking up information on her so there is like i don't know it might be just an urban legend or a rumor but there's like um, a story that her funeral because her funeral happened on the 27th when this episode's dropping and then early in the morning of june 28th is when the the riots happened at stonewall and a lot of people at stonewall were huge were obviously huge fans of of judy they had actually some of them come from her funeral and they go to to this place and they're like there's something in the air that something's just going to happen tonight and Stonewall was a place that didn't have a liquor license. So they were called a bottle bar. And a lot of people had to use pseudonyms, particularly for, for safety for queer people. And so the pseudonyms that, that were used an awful lot were Judy Garland. And so then her, her funeral happened on the 27th. And then wow. the early mornings of the 28th is when the Stonewall riots happened. And so there's, there's that aspect of it. And then also, like you had mentioned John Waters earlier, and he had talked about seeing this as a kid. And he, I have a quote from him. He said, I was the only child in the audience that always wondered why Dorothy ever wanted to go back to Kansas. Why would she want to go back to Kansas in this dreary black and white farm with an aunt who dressed badly and seemed mean to me? When she could live with magic shoes, winged monkeys, and gay lions. I never understood it. And I love that. I love that quote. Totally. That's amazing. Um, yeah, you know, being we made the movie in Baltimore, and obviously, like John is a huge uh, inspiration yeah. growing up here. Like, I went to as a seventeen-year-old, I went to the set of uh, Cecil B. Demented, and um, yeah. oh wow, and, and walked in, and I went with. I was in a film class at the time in high school, where I was like really excited to finally get in this film class, and we walked in, and we were wearing um, uh, ties. You know, we were out for this like special thing, and and John said, uh, "Who let these choir boys in on set?" And, <laughs> You know, and it was like the most amazing thing to be like, wow, John Waters just like, you know, gave us a little uh, dig there. Um, but yeah, no, uh, he's he's still around. And, and he actually he watched uh, Strawberry Mansion. I think I can say this. He called me afterwards. And the, one of the first things he said is he said uh, he loved it. And it was like a fucked up children's movie. And oh, that was like crazy. such an amazing moment to be like, wow, John Waters. Wait, also got a call from John Waters. Like, that's cool as shit. <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, Baltimore is small enough that I think it you know, is. it's uh, you, you can run into to each other at certain film events. And, um, you know, he's he's just a great supporter of Baltimore and the film scene here. So uh, he is. Baltimore. He's a, yeah, we love it. We love it. And we uh, love Baltimore. Yeah, that's it. I love that quote. It's true. It's like, you know. Why, 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 why do you want to get back to that boring, you know, black and white Kansas when you kind of, that's what I thought when I was watching this movie too. I was like, cause well, I, I, 
like you, I like you, you both, I think, uh, I don't remember exactly when I saw this movie originally when I was a kid, I think it always been like maybe a part of my subconscious. I probably saw it when I was very, very, very young. And it was like a favorite that I would watch, but I had not until last night had not revisited this film probably until since I was a kid. Mm. And um, there were some things that I had forgotten. Speaking of the black and white thing, I thought it was stark black and white when it's actually in sepia tone. Right. And so that was oh, like, a, that's it, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It like even gives it kind of a, like a more muddier like presentation yeah. to it that really pops when that, when the, the color pops in, it's, it's, it just gives it a sort of like a, why would dreary, why would you want to go back to that? Yeah. That's and, the one flaw of the film, I guess. <laughs> But, uh, you know, as I got older and I started getting interested in like, how do they make how they make this movie, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's so much written about it and so many things you can look up. But that that iconic scene when it goes to sepia to color, I think Mm. is so cool because they they paint they actually painted the inside of the cabin sepia. They painted another actress uh, sepia. So when it's when it's Dorothy opening the door, it's not actually Mm -hmm. Judy Garland. She opens the door oh. and kind of the camera moves forward as the uh, as a sepia actress leaves the frame. As the camera's moving forward, our actual Judy Garland in color walks up. And, and you know, it's ingenious, all in mm. camera. And so, you know, as like a filmmaking uh, exercise, I mean, just like if you're interested in how they make these movies, like also all like the matte paintings, you know, when they're going down the, the yellow brick road and you've got the uh, Emerald City in the background mm-hmm. and you can see like... As an, as an adult watching really big, it's fun to try to see where does like the flowers end and like the painting yeah. begin, you know, but it's, it's just so magical that it's, it's still, it works. It, it's just, it's like the perfect kind of like, it's a stage play. It's a movie. It's a musical. It's, uh, it got some horror elements. It's funny. Uh, it's, it's got a heart, you know, you got these iconic characters, you know, the, the cowardly lion, the tin man, you know, the scarecrow. Yeah, it's just an all-timer. Did you guys ever hear the urban legend about Wizard of Oz with <laughs> oh, the guy yeah. who hanged himself in the background? Yep. I feel like most of us have heard this. Because that when I heard that as a kid, every time I watched the movie, I'd pause it and look for it. Because I was a fucking yeah. weird, macabre little fucker who was like <laughs> so was like so into it and was like, oh, someone hanged himself. It's so cursed. Wizard of Oz is cursed. And I thought that was even cooler. Yeah. That is not true, uh, according to the internet. And it- everything it's like i don't think is there a definitive answer though i don't know if it's there's a peacock a definitive, it's a I, peacock? I think it's, i think it's a p pe- i think the thing that people think they're seeing there's you know there's these like birds walking around in the background mm-hmm. yeah I, I believe it's a um because i also was that person like you know this is before the internet was really like what it is today. oh yeah you couldn't, you couldn't find out the other one i think about is three men and a baby the the ghost in the window <laughs> oh yeah yes! you know and then it was actually just like a ted danson cut out that was but as a kid you're like wizard of oz someone hung themselves uh the little boy who killed themselves with a bb gun by accident in three men and baby still haunts the apartment you know and it's like it, it becomes this like legend around these movies <laughs> yeah so uh, there were some ways that were like we're not sure but yeah i think it was the, like a peacock or one of like the, the apparently they rented like you said a ton of birds and some of them escaped and were just like around <laughs> set but like that gave the wizard of oz such a weird vibe to me too like for the longest time like i believed it for a very long time again when the internet became more of a thing and you could look it up but like that always freaked me out that like this cute kids movie had this right. like and it was pretty it's pretty obvious in the background too like it's not too difficult to see and I always remember looking out for that when I was younger and like you're like look it's the guy hanging himself in the background and my mom was like stop doing that <laughs> like what well, is wrong with you 
Yeah. It, it was also like the VHS tapes you were watching were like, you know, degraded quality and they weren't very clear. And the TVs were, you know, smaller. Nowadays, you got your Blu-ray and your flat screen and it's like, oh, yeah, that's that's totally what it is. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. and apparently, like, re- there were some crazy stories from, like, the production of this movie, too. Like, some ho- Judy Garland was not treated well on set, apparently. She they, was, like, yeah, diet pills and speed. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was diet Seriously? pills and speed. Yeah, she was 16, and one of, like, they had her on diet pills and speed to help her self image and, like, help her get through filming, um, which apparently actually led to her attempting suicide a couple years later. Yeah, it's dark. And then apparently, some of the actors who play the munchkins were like very rowdy and drank a lot in the hotel room afterward. And yeah, there, yeah. Uh, there, there were some, some stories of like orgies with the munchkins. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of them what? were, you know, they were like bust into LA. They were, they were kind of like, this was this exciting time, but they, I don't think a lot of them had ever seen so many people uh, like themselves. And so it was mm-hmm. just really kind of like rowdy, community that that was happening behind the scenes yeah but there's a whole movie about that i think like a documentary just about the what was going on with them oh wow yeah I haven't and seen um it. margaret hamilton who played wicked witch of the west suffered really bad burns she got second and third degree burns on her face and hands would no longer work with fire after that and then her stunt double was on like the broomstick and it fucking exploded and burned her legs <laughs> yeah so like this movie is like so iconic but also like trouble i haven't seen the documentary i want to see that but like very troubled production history not not to mention the original actor playing the tin man had to stop because he got poisoned by the makeup oh that's right got his eyes yeah And, and then they the replacement i forget his name but um they put on some kind of powder underneath like in between but it it wasn't they still used the poisonous makeup it just like wasn't quite as bad but he still i think was feeling pretty sick like it wasn't you know it, oh the guy who played the original tin man looking this up was in an iron lung he had to go into an iron lung because the aluminum powder got into his lungs yeah holy cow i mean you know and then That's it's crazy. like it, it creates this iconic thing and it, you know you start saying is it worth it i mean it's like it makes me think of like tarkovsky and the crew of stalker you know it's yes like, they they make this incredible iconic movie that is one of the, the another top ten of all time. But uh, you know, within ten years, they most of them were were dead from uh, like radiation poisoning Jeez. and cancers. The things we do for art, right? You know, it's like you know, hopefully we're we're moving into an era maybe where it's like we can have great movies and also not hurt ourselves in the process. But uh, I mean, you know it. Not that we got like uh, I need to go in an iron lung or anything, but you know, making Star Mansion was is tough. We had uh, we had mornings where we were like, you know, questioning what we're doing and our our questioning our roles in the universe and yeah. is this is this going to be anything? And yeah, lots of existential uh, struggles of the mind, but that's sort of par for the course, you know. I think that's before the movie during the movie after the movie that's where that's where my head is <laughs> yeah and that, i think that's yeah. a, a lot of what uh, our next movie is about it's just like sort of trying to understand your purpose on the planet and trying to understand how you fit in which what you can provide what you what you what the identity that you uh bring to the world and and how that relates to other people and or doesn't let's look forward to the next project but 
Yeah. You know, it's it's funny though that you bring up that the, that the the woman that played the witch had had burns because I was I rewound and and replayed her introduction or yeah her introduction in the um in the Munchkin City where like there's smoke and then she appears because that's a really well done I I I realized you know watching it after playing it that you know she's coming up out, out of the ground but the way that it's edited is so perfect and then she goes back down there's a yeah. burst of flame and I'm like how did they do that without her getting hurt because that is like well, almost instant. Yeah. <laughs> and there we go. There we go. Burns on her right. body. Burns yeah. on her body. You know. Wait, what if we don't care if she gets hurt? Oh, we can get hurt. <laughs> by then. It's like, but it might hurt her. It's like, well, this movie's going to be around for another hundred years and people are going to love it and talk about it on podcasts many years from now. So it's worth it. There you go. Podcasts? <laughs> they're yeah. like, the fuck are you talking Yeah. I did have a very weird observation on this watch um, oh. in, the, in the Munchkin city mm-hmm. when there's like a shot and they're, you know, they're walking through the city and everything. And there is a shot of this nest, shall we say, I think it's a nest mm-hmm. and it has eggs and the Munchkins are baby Munchkins are sleeping in it. And I'm, I'm like, okay, one, is this how Munchkins are born? in this world out of like eggs because it's in a nest or two did they kill giant birds and then harvest their eggs and are now sleeping in their eggs because it is literally kids waking up out of these eggs and i'm like how are much kids birthed because it just it was actually yeah. kind of terrifying to me and it made me go like how how are these how do these munchkins reproduce because that's yeah. terrifying great questions um <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome for that. The very I go from there, questions but... about the Lord Wizard of Oz. How are Munchkins born? They yeah. look like humans, but who the fuck knows? <laughs> Babies are sleeping in eggs. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of discussion about this film throughout the years, but I think maybe this one needs a little bit more exploration. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. Have you yeah. read the book? Have any of you guys read the book? No, I uh, never read it either. It's like a whole, isn't it a whole series of books? It's a whole series. My mom yeah. has all her original. She she loved it as a kid, uh, and she still has them. And actually, um, who wrote it? Was it Fr- Frank Baum, Franco Baum, or something, or oh, yeah. something like that? Um, I almost said Frank Oz. What's wrong with me? Um, yeah, it's Frankie Oz. <laughs> <laughs> but he he spent he spent some time in Ithaca. I think he might have gone to Cornell or had some kind of Ithaca connection, upstate New York. I have a friend who lives up there, and there was these yellow bricks. Part of the main street was yellow bricks, and they were tearing it up a couple of years ago. And she said, "Hey, I know you love this movie. You want a couple of these bricks?" And I I got a couple and I gave one to my mom because they were the yellow bricks that that he saw as like a teenager in Ithaca that I think kind oh, of wow. inspired. So, I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, they were just yellow bricks he saw as a kid. But to me, it's like, that's, that's, still, that's, that's where like the yellow, the I, yellow brick road. And I got one downstairs. It's like the doorstop. When you open our door, it keeps the door from closing. Um, and every day, oh. you know, I'm like, there's a yellow brick right there. So, that's so yeah. cool. You know, I haven't read the books, but uh, I saw the sequel, the um, Walter Murch, uh, Baruza Balk, uh, Return to Oz. <laughs> Return to Oz, which is horrifying in its own which, way is on your list i i saw that that was on your list because that's a that's a traumatic film uh i saw walker merch speak like years ago and i think that was maybe his only directorial movie you know he's a great editor and sound designer and and all these things but uh he was talking about it and it's really interesting because you know he i think wanted to make this iconic sequel to you know to one of the most iconic movies of all time and uh I think instead it just kind of became this movie that like we all saw as kids and just like we saw it once because it was so weird and like everything was different and off, you know, like 
Dorothy doesn't look like Dorothy, the Tin Man is a whole different design. I think he was being a little truer to like the books, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That movie is, yeah. It's <laughs> I do want to talk very briefly about the Wicked Witch of the West because mm. she feels like she's she's I think she's an iconic design for a witch. I, I have a feeling that that has sort of like informed how we look at the witch since then mm. with the green face. And I, I don't I don't know if this was like something that existed beforehand, but like whenever I think of a witch and I think the the iconic design, I think of this witch from this movie and you know she really kind of is a drag queen in her own right she you know has all these iconic lines she's throwing fireballs and disses she loves a dramatic entrance uh-huh. and water is her weakness i mean you throw water on a drag queen and the makeup starts to melt they're out and you throw water on her and she just melts like this is yeah. this is drag queen from the very beginning like this movie, i'm sorry this movie is okay i love yeah. it, it, it <laughs> yeah. i've lost mary beth water on a drag queen it's just <laughs> she will True. it's just really funny i've never thought of that comparison before <laughs> yeah I, I think you're right i think that might be the first drag queen right there there you go yeah she, you know i i just i i love the the design of her and i i do think she's she's actually kind of terrifying yeah I, I don't know there's something i think there's something very uncanny about this movie and i think that when i was thinking back to when i saw it as a kid i remember being kind of scared about this movie too as a kid and i think it was the way things don't feel real mm-hmm. like from the very beginning when the house falls on the wicked witch of the east and you see her legs you know basically sticking out under from under the, the house and they end up like rolling up and going inside it's like that's not how legs work <laughs> and so there's like this yeah. idea of this uncanniness that continues throughout the entire movie from the the kind of robotic looking bird sitting in the trees to to the witch to the way everything looks like it's on a stage production like there's a, yeah. a feeling of artifice here that I as a kid I don't know both like spoke to you know my imagination but also kind of slightly terrified me because it it doesn't feel it doesn't feel real. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it's like, yeah, it's like probably most children's like first kind of like dipping their toe into like surrealism and, mm-hmm. you know, that exact feeling of like, I've never seen anything like this. It's it's exciting and also a little scary. It's like a cartoon that comes to life. You know, it's like the way that the legs peel up or like a talking lion and Tin Man and the way they move and the way they dance. And, you know, it's like, uh, like a merry melody or like some kind of, uh, cartoon that's come to life and you know the the horse that changes colors every scene it's that yeah you know, it's very trippy it's like, too, so you know? it's like there's no no wonder that like people started putting pink floyd you know dark side of the moon to it because it's like you can really kind of go on a little trip with it stoned or yeah. not you know i am also curious if did this movie um influence uh, either of you at all while you were making strawberry mansion because i i don't know there, there seems to be like I watching both back to back last night, just, I don't know. It felt like a perfect companion piece to, to this movie. Wait, did you watch, uh, which one did you watch first? I watched your movie first. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. Try when, when we part, when we start syncing them up, we'll have to like figure out (laughs) which one pairs better first or second, but, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Influenced. Um, I mean, there, there are some very, um, direct visual, uh homages like the, the the bubble the pink bubble that comes comes down at, at one of the later scenes in our film and the witch of course i think we <laughs> you know like you said i think it's a very defining kind of representation of a, of a witch that i think we kind of stayed true to that version of what a witch looks like um and uh yeah just the the costumes and the and the and the and, the, and 
you know the archetypes of 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 a, of a fable for fairy tale that of that ilk yeah and i think i think with connie we she even mentioned margaret hamilton i think she may have done a play with her years ago or there was some kind of i think she had met her at some point so it felt like the connie who played um who played the witch who played martha and the witch in our movie um yeah he was definitely kind of like like it's like the iconic performance so it's kind of like you know when she's there's a whole other scene that you can see on the blu-ray as well with with uh the witch in our movie and in that scene you'll really i think see like the margaret hamilton kind of coming out of like the cackling and they're like oh i'll get you you know mm, um mm-hmm. cool. but yeah and then like yeah the, the pink bubble that comes down that that uh bella and preble float away and i think i even like took a screen cap of the pink bubble from wizard of oz and then use that as like our reference for our uh... BFF person to like just oh, make yeah. this you know like can you just make this exact pink bubble you know because it's like what's cooler than that like a bubble coming down with someone in it and then like going away with them i think we were like stuck in the script like well what's going to happen here what and it was like we had this whole elaborate setup with this like conveyor belt and then it turns into a rocket and it's just like oh wow it's just like too much yeah and then it's like all, all we need is the bubble you know like this is steal from wizard of oz like that's perfect I, oh, yeah. I think Lynch did the same thing at the end of Wild at Heart. You know, he's got the the bubble comes down with the, the good witch in it. So yeah, yeah. When in doubt, just like you know, steal from your favorite movies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. So, do we want to wrap up and give us a rating out of five? Sounds like a plan. All right, Terry. Starting off with you, um, how many flying monkeys out of five do you give The Wizard of Oz? Uh, I mean, I you know, I think this movie is iconic. Uh, I think when you think about how it was made in 1939 and the sort of technical prowess that went into it the acting is is really good i love the 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 actors that play each of the 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 men that she meets along the way the scarecrow the tin man they just they have such physicality to them that it really feels they embody the characters so well i i think i i do have one uh thing that that i thought was really funny this movie speaks a lot to to the to the gay the gay in me the gay in me me as a, as a gay man <laughs> but uh i you know the the idea so there's a i don't i don't know how like known this is but like back in like the early early days the gay slang was friend of dorothy and that was a gay man and it was like a term that people would use to refer to them without having to say gay or to like you know hide it mm-hmm. and in the late 70s and early 80s the naval investigative service was investigating homosexuality in the chicago area and agents discovered that gay men would refer to themselves as friends of Dorothy. And unaware of the historical meaning of the term, they believed that there was actually a woman named Dorothy at the center of a massive ring of homosexual military personnel. And they launched an enormous and futile hunt for this elusive Dorothy, hoping to find her and convince her to reveal the names of the gay service members. Like, amazing. What? But yeah, so like th- this movie the is the U.S. I, government I, at work. <laughs> I know. And who is this Dorothy? <laughs> any, any, anything that can like mess with the government like that is just the best, you know. That's like, fucking incredible. I didn't it's, know that. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And so this, I I can't give this movie anything less than five flying monkeys for myself. This, it's just it's iconic. It's so well well produced and it's everlasting. It's timeless. Uh, so what about you, Mary Beth? How many? I mean, how can I fucking top that? Five, five, five monkeys <laughs> out of five. This movie has been in my brain since before I can remember. It has, it's just gorgeous and I love it no matter what. And it's cursed a little bit, which makes it even cooler to me. And I 
wanted to be Dorothy and I also wanted to be the lion I think because he had really cool curly hair and I also saw him as like a very feminine character which is incredible and yeah I five out of five for me um and you guys have the final word Kintakura starting with you how many flying monkeys out of five do you give this one yeah I mean yeah, yeah there's no there's no other ratings for giving this unless you're you know sick sick person um <laughs> flying monkeys um Although, you know, I'm a little disturbed by the the safety pro issues here and some of these. Oh. Um, so the only thing I would take it down is for the people harmed on, along the way. But I, I feel like it was worth it. You know, I will. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's worth it, but I don't want to. I'm not, it's, it's, you know, it's iconic. Like you said, it, it's one of the greatest films of all time and so many with so many different layers and levels. And, and uh it's always a guiding post for us, I think. And I think, yeah, like Albert said, if it went in doubt, like we're coming straight back for Wizard of Oz for influence, inspiration. Yeah. And I got my dog named Dorothy. So I think that says it all where I'm coming from. Sure does. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give it five flying monkeys. But the only thing about flying monkeys is they start swarming. So now we got six. Now we got seven. <laughs> oh my God, there's so many flying monkeys. <laughs> it's going to keep going up. And so it's going to, before you know it, it's like, I, I'm going to give it a hundred flying monkeys. That's where I'm at. Um, okay. There you go. Totally like broken mold. Yeah. I like that. Um, well, thank you both, Kentucker and, and Albert, for bringing this movie to us and allowing us to talk about it and doing it, dropping it on, you know, the anniversary of her funeral. It's, a, it's an amazing coincidence. But um, where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, thanks for having us. We've, we're excited. It's been a fun, fun chat. So, so excited to talk with you. Um, yeah, we're on on the socials and uh, I'm at Kentucker Oddly on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Albert's Albert Bernie, or simply Silvio on yeah, all places. Yeah. Um, we're making a new movie called Super Delights that we're just finishing our script now, or we're, we're, we're working on a script in the sort of late, late stages of the script now, and, and hopefully we'll make that sometime in the next year. And uh, yeah, I think it taps in a lot of the same visual landscapes and, 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 and themes and, and um, special effects and, and, and otherworldly fantasy elements and some horror elements that we that we've been tapping into thus far. And so, you know, it's funny because we've been writing this new screenplay to, and we're just like really deep in it. And you kind of get lost down this, you know, rabbit hole and talking about Wizard of Oz today. It made me just like think about, oh, yeah, there's a lot of overlap and, and a lot of like uh elements of this and i think uh it's going to be nice to kind of go through and see what we read thinking about wizard of oz and uh yeah it's like a it's like a lighthouse in the, in the darkness out there that you know it's it's good to revisit and talk about and think about it because i think it uh it shines very brightly still yeah hell yeah so let's sorry my fiance like came into the background with holding my cat and was distracting me and i got really, <laughs> it's just like look it's the cat um <laughs> so listeners you've heard from us we want to hear from you what was your experience with the wizard of oz send us an email at scarfblifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on twitter i am at mb mcandrews and i'm a gaily dreadful and of course don't forget to follow the podcast at scar podcast and please don't forget to review rate and subscribe thank you to eric power for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy and until next time <laughs>
As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.